Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin. And today we are discussing Talk to Me from 2022, but actually 2023, directed by Danny and Michael Philippou, written by Danny Philippou, Bill Hinsman, and Daly Pearson, uh, starring Sophie Wilde, Alexandra Jensen, Joe Bird, and Miranda Otto in this film. On the anniversary of her mother's untimely death, teenager Mia learns how to connect with spirits from the other side at a high school party of all places. If you're new to the show, we are going to discuss spoiler-free background information for the first 15 or 20 minutes, but after that, we're going to play some transition music, and that's when you know we're going into spoiler mode. We're going to walk through the plot in detail and give a review of the movie when we're done with that. So if you get to that transition music, you should probably duck out and go see this movie in theaters. It just came out uh, last weekend as of us releasing this. Um, So yeah, and uh, by the way, we have a Patreon. You can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange button to subscribe to that. You'll hear a recently released episode on James Gunn's Slither from 2006, among other videos and audio episodes. And uh, some shout-outs to new patrons, Evan B., Kayla R., Jordan, Chase B., Eugene, Riz, Andrew, Home at the Colvilles, Jarrett, Johnny C., Kate L., and Sheila B. Thank you all so much for your patronage. We appreciate you. Ashwin, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, man. How about you? <laughs> good. Uh, were you excited for this movie? Was it kind of on your radar? Or Yeah, I was pretty excited, man. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about it. I feel like it was one of the more talked-up A24 films to be coming out this year. Uh, and yeah, just so much positive press in the last few weeks. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was really looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah. I mean, try, I try to never look forward to anything so that I never have expectations, but <laughs> there had just been, it felt like a lull this year. 2022 felt like such a huge year for horror and we've had some horror movies come out this year for sure. Uh, but Didn't they all come out in like April. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. April, there were like three of them, right? Yeah. Renfield, Pope's Exorcist and... Evil Dead Rise, I think, all came out in April. Yeah, that sounds right. Like on the same weekend or the same back-to-back weekends. Um, but it just felt like a little bit of a dry year so far compared to last year. And I had kind of subtly been pinning hopes on these few weeks here where we get Talk to Me and Last Voyage of the Demeter two weeks apart. So, mm. yeah, it, it was on my radar. I, I didn't know a whole lot about the movie other than... People were talking it up and saying like, "Hey, this is this is one to watch." So, mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah, was... interesting uh, marketing campaign. Like, it, it is an independent film, I, I assume. I mean, it's a foreign film since it's Australian. Uh, but yeah, I, f- I feel like I only saw previews for it maybe with Insidious too. But outside of that, like, not a lot of press and more just like kind of word of mouth buzz. Uh, did you see or hear of a lot of marketing efforts? I feel like I saw some well placed marketing. I wasn't bombarded with it, but. I I was aware of it. I think the marketing was effective. Oh, okay. Got it. Even though it wasn't, you know, a blitzkrieg of an assault on the senses. Some some movies I'm like, wow, you cannot escape this preview. Yeah, it's like um, Blumhouse, uh, a lot of those films. like Yeah, <laughs> like the Megans of the world might be exactly. kind of like that. This one wasn't like that, but I, I think they, you know, they were effective enough. They were yeah. targeted. Sure, sure, yeah. And uh, I think early reviews helped it. Um, but yeah, so similar. Like I, I feel like it was the, the bar was like pretty high going into this. Like uh, I, I was a little worried that it wouldn't live up to the hype that I was building. 
Right. That's why I always try to just, you know, go in as blank as possible. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> but the critics are enjoying it so far. It's got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and 83% user score from the audience. It had a budget of $4.5 million and opened its opening weekend with $10 million. Uh, it opened on July 29th, but really the 28th because they always show them on Thursday nights uh, in the U.S. So that was just last weekend for us. Uh, finished fifth at the box office, and this is supposedly the best box office opening weekend for an A24 film since Midsommar in 2019. Wow, yeah. Hard to believe sounds... they haven't done better than that, but I, I sure, I'll believe it. I know, it. like, uh, I, I would have thought, like, X and Pearl were both A24, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I'm surprised none of those uh, hit the, the amount. I, I wonder if it's like, yeah, summer release. July's also been like a huge month movie-wise. I feel like this has been a big month for box office returns. Yeah, it's the month of Barbenheimer. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like prime spot to be coming out. Yeah, have you seen that Buzz has already started for the next Barbenheimer weekend, which is Saw Patrol with Paw Patrol and Saw X coming out on the <laughs> no. same weekend? Saw 10. Is that this year? Yeah, it's in September. Oh, cool. And I did not pull off the Barbenheimer doubleheader, but I think I actually could foreseeably do so for Saw Patrol. Yeah, I, I imagine both of those movies are under three hours. The whole thing with uh, Barbenheimer, is, that's like that's four or five long. hours of theater watching, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a long but time. But I could see the family going to the theater for Paw Patrol and then me waving goodbye and <laughs> stepping into Saw. Daddy's hanging out to see some <laughs> <Yeah>. disturbing things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daddy yeah. wants to see some people get tortured. <laughs> exactly. Isn't isn't uh, Paw Patrol, that, that's all dogs, right? Uh, yeah, it's just dogs torturing humans. <laughs> nice. I'd watch that. Yeah, like a dog superhero type team. Yeah, cool. Uh, anyway, this movie, talk to me. Danny and Michael Philippou are twin brothers. Uh, they rose to prominence with a YouTube channel called Rocka Rocka. Um, and they specialize in, it says, intense live-action horror comedy videos. I didn't have time to really peruse their channel aside from a quick glance at, like, a zombie kill video. Oh, nice. That looked pretty intense. So they've, they've got extensive special effects experience just on these, with these shorts they're making on YouTube. Yeah, I saw one that they got famous for was Harry Potter versus Star Wars. Uh and yeah, premise is really dumb. It's just like these two people get in a fight, and one like has Harry Potter's powers, and one has like Star Wars powers. But yeah, the the effects for like I imagine like no budget basically or limited budget, and uh, on like lo-fi technology, it's really impressive. Uh, yours also what like it had like great gore or something? Or? Yeah, it did. It was just like they had like a warning, like this is intense, but it's not real. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I'm gonna check it out more after we hang up. Yeah, kind of amazing the the skill these guys have. Yeah, and it sounds like they've really just been honing their skills with DUI, you know, working on their own. Um, Talk to me is their first feature film, but they're supposedly working on a Street Fighter film, uh, and they have another one in development called Bring Her Back, which I don't know anything about. I have to wonder if that's another horror title, just based on that alone. Yeah, uh, have has a similar supernatural vibe, but but we'll see. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's so weird because uh, this movie isn't what you'd expect from uh, two brothers who've been like doing like shorts like that. Uh, unless I don't know, did did you get a sense? Did you see like any overlap between what you saw in this film? No, I mean it seems like a lot of it has a comedic bent, and this is a fairly there are comedic parts in this movie for sure. I I, I laughed in the theater, but yeah, 
it's got I've seen some comparisons to hereditary and that's not totally off base like it's yeah. a drama right right exactly yeah yeah genre wise like drama uh, I mean I, I feel like this is like a 24 territory of like grief horror potentially um, did you was there a word for that yeah we were calling it misery porn which we kind of you know co-opted that term and we're using it for ourselves and I was defining defining it as a story where characters start out miserable, get even more miserable in the middle of the movie, and the film ends more miserably than you ever could have even expected. <laughs> yeah, but you I don't off think that our, I, I don't want to spoil the movie with that kind of talk, but I don't yeah. think this qualifies. Oh, okay. And I'll that, explain more later. It sounds like you're just defining a life there. You start off miserable. Yeah, you right. You get more miserable. <laughs> I'm in my own misery porn. Yeah, exactly. Action. Um, yeah, I, I, it is a dramatic, uh, traumatic and often sad movie, but I don't think it qualifies as that. I'll just say that. I don't want to spoil too much about the movie. Yeah. And then we'll talk more about that later. Sure. Uh, these guys worked, uh, camera and electrical on Babadook, so part of the crew. Um, there's a few, you know, Babadook crossovers. I think one of the producers, um, what is her name? Oh. Christina Caton. Right. Also produced The Babadook, The Nightingale, which was also Jennifer Kent, um, and Cargo, which was an Australian zombie movie, I believe. Um, so there's some crossover there. The writer, uh, Daly Pearson, I don't know if it's Daly or Daly, D-A-L-E-Y, uh, has done a lot of writing for, for TV, but is also an executive producer, speaking of, this is just my time to talk about all the shows my kids watch, an executive producer for the massively popular Australian kids show Bluey, hmm. which I think a lot of our parents are probably familiar with. Oh, cool. Have you ever nice. heard of that? Sounds familiar. Uh, I don't think I've seen it, though. It's just a family of cartoon dogs, and it's uh, it's pretty very well done for a kids show. Damn, man. Dogs are dominating kids' television. Dogs are dominating. <laughs> yeah. It's, really having there's going to be a cat strike pretty soon, a cartoon <laughs> yeah. cat strike. <laughs> yeah. It's on the way. Uh, yeah, man, I, I wasn't familiar with many of these actors. I don't know about you. Sophie Wilde, the lead, had, has had roles in popular Australian and British TV shows and films, but uh, not much in the U.S., so I haven't really seen her much. Same. Uh, Mar- Miranda Otto, who played her friend Jade's mom, played Eowyn in the Lord of the Rings movies, so she had a familiar face to me for that reason. Yeah, I think she was the most recognizable person here. They're, otherwise, they're all Australian, right? Yeah, right. And she was also in What Lies Beneath and Annabelle Creation. So In War of the Worlds. Horror fans may recognize her. Yeah. Right. Have you seen What Lies Beneath? I've seen, I caught parts of it on TV as okay. a youngster. How about you? I don't think I've seen it. I didn't realize it was horror until I was just uh, reading about it now, but... Sounds I feel like we should cover more like '90s, late '90s, early 2000s horror. Yeah, I, think... I gotta believe some of our listeners have a, <laughs> a nostalgia for some of that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a genre there that we could definitely dial into. Yeah, there was a lot of like PG-13 thriller, yep. suspense type horror right on the cusp of the millennia there. Exactly, exactly. That'd be fun to visit. Uh, so this movie, it had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 2023, but it debuted in its home country of Australia at the Adelaide Film Festival in 2022, so that's why we're stuck with the 2022 on the back of the movie's title that you'll get in 
movie databases like IMDb because that original screening was in 2022, even though the film is coming out in the second half of 2023, even even in its home country of Australia, it wasn't didn't have a wide release until then. So yeah, that's crazy. Why uh, why sit on it for that long? You think it's just a timing thing? I think you just got to get like all your your ducks in a row and stuff. A24 didn't pick it up until after Sundance. Um, mm. There was kind of a bidding war for it after that. I think Universal was kind of in talks as well, but ultimately A24 won the rights to distribute in the U.S. And I assume, you know, they've got to get all their ducks in a row and lots of planning. I don't know if they get involved in any post-production type stuff or, yeah. Yeah. I can't say I know everything that goes on, but yeah, there's usually some lead time there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Shoot, I forgot to look at uh, A24 and like what what else they've put out this year so far. I feel like they haven't uh, been huge on this scene. Um, Yeah, what else is them? Is Ennisman? them Ennis I don't know if um, I heard of that one yeah I've barely heard of it I'm oh. not sure I'm not I'm not up on A24's 2023 releases yeah same I feel, I feel like Yo's new one like when it was coming out uh and like they they blew up last year with the everything everywhere all at once um yeah yeah Infinity Pool wasn't them um, no you know what was them this year uh Beef that was that was it do you watch that show no oh you didn't watch Beef I didn't watch Beef Oh man, you gotta watch it. It's so good, uh, okay. great, great. Like, what, I think that's gonna be like one of the best TV shows of the year. Oh wow! All right, but yeah, that's all it. right. Uh, any other background info on this movie, or should we uh, proceed to the plot? Uh, you got everything uh, I had, so I'm, I'm ready for the plot when you are. Okay. Um, before we hit the plot, we will mention uh, an Ohio connection that is brought to you by our friend Alex, who connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so if you're in the area, you got to stop by. Great food, drinks, great patio. And Alex says, Talk to Me is a supernatural horror film directed by Danny and Michael Philippou in their feature film directorial debut. Its world premiere took place at the Sundance Film Festival on January 22, 2023. Also premiering at this year's Sundance Film Festival was the sports documentary Underrated about acclaimed NBA basketball star Stephen Curry. In 2016, Stephen Curry's Golden State Warriors blew a 3-1 lead in the best-of-seven NBA Finals to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers from Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. <laughs> Good connection, Alex. Connection. Yeah. yeah, nice job. Oh, sorry, Bo was afraid. It was Big A24 film. Oh, from oh geez. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. We would have had... I'm sure people were already... Emails have been emails. sent already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which uh, uh, I haven't seen out of you. Thank you. I still haven't seen that. You know, the only thing keeping me from seeing it is felt like it wasn't quite horror which sent it kind of to the back of my list um that in the runtime i think it's also like close to yeah. three hours yeah i'll check it out before the year is out you know speaking of whenever these big directors do something that's not quite horror i put it on the back burner i still haven't seen the northman oh yeah I and i'm ashamed of that yeah yeah it's it's tough because you want to support these directors but yeah, then they right. run away from horror and suddenly <laughs> I mean, it's not that I'm not interested in non-horror movies. It's just, uh, you know, priorities. We don't have a club for non-horror movies yet. <laughs> yeah, non-horror movie club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, man. Well, let's walk through the plot. We're going to spoil everything, so duck out and go see this movie if you haven't yet. But before we do, can you hold on one second, Ashvin? Uh, just to peek behind the curtain, everybody, right as we started recording, 
I realized that I was supposed to host this and do the plot walkthrough today, even though I originally thought it was on Ashvin. So I just need like one more minute to gather myself. Here. Sure, go for it. All right, be right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, you, you got your notes together? Well, full disclosure, I, I actually wasn't gathering myself. I'm just so frustrated about this oversight of mine that I had to take out a bit of aggression on myself. So just a f- oh. few quick uh, forehead smashes <laughs> into Head the table into and the t- a, a gouged <laughs> eye later, I feel much better. Oh, good. Let the I'm rage ready out. to record. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So that's pretty healthy. It is true that this was a last minute realization for me, so we had to break... I scrambled to put together the plot, <laughs> yeah. so forgive me if this walkthrough isn't the best. And I'm also reading it through my now one good eye. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll believe it on that. Yeah. Uh, so this film opens with a young man named Cole kind of zipping through a house party, weaving through people as he searches for his brother, Ducket, who is not doing well and needs to be escorted home. As Cole finds his brother and tries to take him home, he's angered by the fact that everyone is filming the two of them leaving the party, and he's asking them to show some respect. He turns back towards his brother, only to have Duckett stab him in the chest. Duckett then walks outside and drives the knife in his hand straight through his face. And we transition to credits, and this is the end of The Hook. Ashwin, what did you think of that opening sequence? Yeah, I, I think this is a great opening sequence. It's like so chaotic at first, and uh, there's this immediate sense of urgency that you feel with that main character and how he's like breaking down the door to get to his brother, and then like the stab comes out of nowhere, and then like I feel like the sound cuts before like the guy stabs himself, and it's pretty violent and like just uh, pretty shocking. So I it worked on me. What, what did you think? Yeah, it is quite shocking, and it's kind of tense immediately. Like you don't necessarily know it's tense. It kind of it's got the handheld camera following Cole through this party, so it really, it's cool camera work. It's all one big long shot as he weaves his way through everything, which is a cool shot for like a party vibe and to really get the scope of this party. But it also works in like, so you don't really know like, oh, are we partying here? Or are we pretty worried about what's going on? Right. And then, you know, he breaks down this door, the camera shifts so that we, we see more of the both of them, and then, yeah, it's just like, oh, holy shit, that just happened, and then, oh, yeah. holy shit, that just happened too. Right. So I agree. I thought it was very shocking, intense, well done. It's two brothers, so you kind of care about what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, and then it's out. You don't know much more about it. I think it sets things up perfectly. Yeah, it's interesting, like, uh, how little you know uh, and, like, how intriguing it is, like, uh, who's throwing the party or, like, why is a brother there? Like, I feel like you come out of this opening with so many questions, but uh, you didn't feel like that distracted from the impact? No, not really. And we'll see later that this movie isn't really too concerned with giving you any more information that you need. Um, I think it's for the better for the most part. Yeah, I I respect it uh, because I think you know... Like, yeah, by the time the film finishes, like, you know what you needed to know. Yeah. Uh, We then transition to our main storyline, which is focused on 17-year-old Mia on the second anniversary of her mother's death. She has a distant relationship with her father, 
Uh, they are living in the same house, but they are emotionally distant. He hasn't been the same since her mother died. And Mia has instead found solace with her friend Jade's family, which includes Jade's mom, Sue, and Jade's little brother, Riley. And this has become like found family for Mia. It is Mia, right? I think so. Not Maya? Yep. I think it's Mia. Yep. Okay. Uh, I, I, I was swear I off. watched this movie, but I, <laughs> I know. I'm so frazzled from all the head smashing. <laughs> Let's kill some brain cells. Uh, dude, I, I was a little confused. Uh, like, yeah, I think this is another instance where like it's taking you as the audience a little while to figure out like what her connection is to these people. Like I thought like, is she in a dorm room or something? But then that other girl, like her friend has her whole family there. Uh, so it took me a while to kind of like piece together like, oh, this is like her friend and her family and like. Uh, Mia's just like super attached and close to them, but uh, did that? Did that? Like, did you figure that out right away? I figured it out pretty quick. I I didn't go the route of her friend Jade lives in a college dorm with her mother and little brother. (laughs) Or do you can see why you might be confused? You never thought like, oh, maybe Mia like works here or something, or like uh, it it made you like wonder like why she in this house with these two people? (laughs) No, I think I just got it um, that she was coming over to her friend's house. Yeah, but even, like, uh, this friend, like, the introduction we get is Mia picking up the brother and then bringing her back, or bringing the brother back, and, like, her and the brother having, like, a great bonding moments, and then she comes back and, like, talks with her friend. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought there was, like, a thing, like, oh, are they, like, relying on her for help or something? Um, mm. Or is she, like, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it didn't seem like a natural uh, relationship to me, but I, I guess, yeah, they, they're all, she, she's, like, taking them on, right, as, like, family. Do you think one of the things that held you back was the time it took to adjust to everyone's Australian accents? Oh, man. Like, two people's names kept saying the same. Like, uh, what's what's the, the friend's name is uh, Jade. Jade. Jade, and the mom's name is uh, J- something else with a J? I think it's Sue. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Riley as the little brother. Yeah. Oh, oh but yeah. I, maybe, I, it was, maybe it was Jade. I kept thinking she was just saying J or something. But, I thought uh, it was J, yeah. It, it yeah. took me a while to really get everyone's names. And yeah. I apparently still don't have them. Yeah, um, the accents are a little, uh, they, they throw you off a little bit. Sure. But Mia, Jade, and Riley decide to attend a party hosted by these characters, Joss and Haley, who are in possession of a mysterious object. It is a severed and embalmed hand, which they claim allows people to see the other side. They bring this thing around to parties, and it's kind of like a party trick, and there are videos of... Uh, you know, them doing it with classmates on social media. And they get to the party, and Mia's curious and decides to give it a try. The way it works is you grab the hand and say, talk to me, which allows you to see a spirit. A candle is lit, and you can then say, I let you in, which allows the spirit to possess you. And this can only be done for 90 seconds per Joss and Haley, uh, per their instructions. And then the hand has to be pried from the hands of the person who's got it and the candle blown out to, quote-unquote, close the door. We don't really know what happens if you go longer than that, but, you know, suffice to say we assume it isn't good. Mia is possessed by a spirit that threatens Riley when she does the trick, and Haley and Joss struggle to get the spirit out of her, and they finally succeed, but they've gone over the 90-second time limit a little bit, and it seems nobody's entirely sure what the implications of that are. Uh, However, the person who gets possessed usually feels quite a rush and exhilarated by the experience of being possessed, and Mia definitely does. Like, she just wants more, other kids are doing it, and they seem to have no memory of being possessed, right? 
I don't know. Like it's, it gives you like it, some kind like of maybe high. a vague pos- memory. I couldn't quite figure that out. Yeah, me neither. Like uh, it's obviously like some kind of like adrenaline rush or something that would give them a kick. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I feel uh, like it almost worked as a metaphor for a bit of a party drug. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I yeah. feel like later, like someone does something embarrassing while they're on it, and as soon as like they snap out of it, they know like what they've done. Uh, and they want like it deleted. So I, I think maybe you're in your body, but like as a passenger or something. Yeah, I couldn't figure out if he knew exactly what he did or just knew it was embarrassing. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That sounds um, like every night. Yeah. After a drink or two. <laughs> so the next day, our main characters convince Haley and Joss to bring the hand over to Jade's house that night while her mom is out. Hey, they do d- you, oh, do you know why they invite those two over to their house? No, I couldn't quite figure it out. I think they just wanted to do it more, or one yeah, of the just, characters who didn't get a chance to do it wanted to do it. I, I, I kind of missed out on that part. Yeah, me too, because it didn't seem like Jade was that into it. Um, yeah. Maybe her boyfriend, Daniel, wanted a, a go at it or something. That was what my friends who accompanied me to the movie said. That I think they told me Daniel wanted to do it, because that was a question, too. I was like, why? what was the deal there? It seemed Mia was really like pining for more of it too yeah right right what did you think of that scene because uh, I, I feel like that's like our first uh, horror scene that was Mia... really cool and i enjoyed that we didn't really see what mia saw at first oh yeah yeah she just like freaks out and then we and then we see it and it's like that woman yeah with the yeah a bloated kind of face yeah yep that was yeah that was pretty cool and uh, i i loved uh, mia's acting here as like the possessed uh woman and then uh the makeup effects on her eyes yeah, the, the I love that. Just the just big dilated pupils, and I've seen that before in other supernatural movies. But it looks better here. Something about it is different. Yeah, yeah, it looks really good. So yeah, there that night they're at Jade's house while her mom is out, and they do more of the hand stuff. Everyone takes a turn being possessed to varying comedic and or terrifying results. What did you think of this montage between this, you know, the last ordeal and this ordeal? We kind of see. This is kind of the end of everyone taking turns getting possessed. What did you think of the whole thing? I, I thought it was so much fun. Like the song choice that they had going on behind it made it like, to your point, like kind of like a party jug where people are just taking turns at it. And I think that's one thing that's very uh, interesting, even about like the first sequence where it's just Mia. It's like pretty scary what we're seeing, but then the reaction by everyone in the room is uh, very like Gen X or Gen Z or whatever, where they're like on their phones, like recording and like, oh my God, like look at this and like getting entertained by it. And so this one, again, you're like, they're doing some really scary stuff, but it's offset by like this montage with uh, a really funny song choice and like them all just like having a great time, like uh, dabbling here with the darker spirits. Uh, What did you think? Yeah, it is really interesting. None of them seem sufficiently scared by it. And then, <laughs> you know, every once in a while, humorous things happen, too. So it's kind of a unique vibe. And during the, one of these montages, they're playing like a French song. Oh, yeah. As right. like um, kind of like the non-diegetic music that the characters can't hear. But then when Mia's possessed, her the spirit possessing her is like singing the words to this French song oh, yeah. along the way. So it's just like, oh, that's kind of cool. And yeah. It, it was funny. It was, yeah. That was, that was a really fun sequence and added like so, some lightness, uh, which I think the whole movie so far is like balancing humor pretty well with like yeah. the scariness. And then there's, of course, one uh, Daniel gets possessed with, uh, I think it's Daniel, a spirit who's like really attracted to Mia, I think. 
and then gets down on the floor and just starts humping the floor and sexual pleasure. And the dog comes over and starts licking his face, and then he essentially starts making out with yeah. the dog. And so this is what you were alluding to before, where he gets up and he's like, delete the video, and like storms out of the room. Right, right, yeah. And and I think the way uh, Mia described it earlier on, too, was like, oh, that's, I think, a big setting of the film, is like, she, you, you get the sense, like, she's lonely and disconnected from people, right? Like, I feel like they do right. a good job of kind of highlighting that. And that's like one of the, one of her appeals or draws to this hand is like it feels like you're with someone or someone's with you or something. Right. It's like uh, the directors have said the movie is like about connection. Right. Um, and it, earlier when we see her dad, we don't really even see his face. She's in focus in the foreground. The background is out of focus. And he's back there like saying something to her. And she's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he's just completely a blur. Right. So, and even when she first enters Jade's bedroom for the first time, she is, Jade's just on her phone and doesn't even really even like greet her appropriately right away. And she's kind of like, uh, hello. And it really feels like what that's kind of what the talk to me exactly. title is about too. Like her dad isn't, her and her dad aren't communicating well. Like this whole, the first time we meet Jade, it's kind of like, uh, is she going to like talk to her or what's happening here? So yeah, I think it is not only is Mia exhilarated by the quote unquote drug of this, you know, spiritual trick, but she does have that longing for connection because it's lacking from her life after for her sure. mom's death. Yeah, 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 totally. That was, that was a good character setup. Um and Jade's little brother is here and he he really wants to take a turn, but Jade, being the protective older sister, refuses to let him do it. However, when she leaves the room, Mia feels bad for Riley and and allows him to take a turn as long as it's a shorter turn than everyone else has taken. Because he's kind of like a little brother to her, too. This is like her adopted family. Uh, But when Riley takes his turn, to Mia's surprise, uh, he is possessed by the spirit of her deceased mother. And she begs Haley and Joss not to blow out the candle so she can get a little bit more time to hawk talking to her mom but Riley ends up being possessed for way too long and the gang cannot get him to release the hand and the spirit or spirits who have now taken him over proceed to smash his head against the coffee table and he tries to gouge out his own eye. He's nearly killed himself by the time the kids call 911 and help finally arrives. He's unconscious. Uh, thoughts on this scene? Pretty intense. Yeah, it was shocking, man. I mean, any eye stuff is always really hard to watch. Um, and yeah, especially after like that uh, last few minutes he talks about where it was like getting kind of lighthearted and fun. This was just like totally, like you're totally taken off guard here when, when this like gets really violent and dark. Um, but I also feel like uh, the sister had some responsibility like walking out of the room after saying uh, you're not allowed to do that and then she just disappears. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, thought I had mixed uh, feelings there. What, what did you think? Yeah, there's a lot of things with um with Mia where you're kind of it's kind of hard to uh I still like her and empathize with her and and could see everything she did like having a purpose, but it gets kind of hard to stay on board with her after a certain point. You're just mm. like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be doing this stuff. Oh, with Mia? Uh, yeah, like he, yeah. he she shouldn't have done that to Riley. Like it wasn't her decision to make. Yeah. And but she was kind of trying to be like the cool sister. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, makes a choice to like hang out with Daniel, which is Jade's boyfriend who Mia used to date. So sure. she just, she makes some choices. 
Yeah, yeah, she does. Uh, I think her mom's death, though, and like, yeah, her distance from her own family, there's like this eagerness from her side to like be accepted yeah. or connect with people. Even when they go to that party, like, people are like, oh, why'd you bring her? So I, I feel like, I don't know, I kind of sympathize with her because uh, I feel like she's got like a lot against her probably as as like a young person who's lost a parents. Yeah, um, right. Right. And these are these are ways she can connect with people. Yeah. I and I kind of win over Riley's favor. Exactly. I I put more blame here on on Jade. I think she was ultimately responsible for her younger brother and she just kind of like left the room. Uh so that, I I don't know. You you don't feel like that was the the mistake there? I mean, really everyone's an idiot for messing with this stuff. This is like <laughs> the true. Ouija board. Like you just don't mess with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I that's mean, true. not only do you not mess with the Ouija board, but, like, you're seeing that things are happening, and, like, some pretty scary things are happening, but you're just doing it more and more. Yeah. Isn't that, like, just a commentary on, on young culture or, like, uh, yeah, people want to see things uh, captured or, uh, yeah. yeah, the performance element? Yeah, you could read a lot into it on, like, peer pressure or... Yeah, just wanting some sort of spectacle, wanting to feel or see something. Right, exactly. Wanting to capture a good video so you can post it. Uh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot driving these kids here. So in the fallout of this event, Riley is hospitalized and in rough shape. Jade and her mom are kind of giving Mia the cold shoulder because they believe she is responsible for, for this. Jade believes so because she knows what happened, she, that Mia let Riley do this. And Jade's mom, because she assumes Mia gave Riley some kind of drug that caused him to do this to himself. And God, I'm so concerned that it was actually Maya, and I'm saying it wrong, but I'm going to stick with <laughs> Mia, and this will just be the world's worst episode if it's actually We could just put an asterisk every time you say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. or overlay me going, Maya. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, Riley improves enough that he can be sent home, but he's wheelchair-bound and can do very little for himself. His face is in rough shape, his eyeballs all puffy and bulging, and it's just not a good situation with him. We then come to find out that as soon as he gets well enough to do so, he begins trying to harm himself again. He tries biting himself, and there's a scene where he falls out of his chair in the shower and starts smashing the back of his head against the shower tile. In perhaps one of the most haunting scenes in the film is he demonically cackles while nearly destroying the back of his skull. Yeah, that was pretty frightening. I think that was maybe my favorite scene of the movie. You like that one over the toe sucker? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. It's <laughs> just uh, I didn't even put the toe sucker in the walkthrough here, but yeah, it yeah, pretty, it was just I, intense and and you know the demon cackling and doing stuff like that. It's pretty freaky. Yeah, yeah, and sad. Riley's become quite a likable character, and you know he's he's the little brother of the movie he becomes kind of like the little brother to the viewers and you see him go through all this horrible shit it's, right. it's rough yeah yeah you're really sympathizing for him Empath- yeah sympathizing a lot of ties to hereditary with a brother who is smashing his face into things oh yeah i forgot about that good point yeah all the while mia is on a journey of her own as she has started seeing the ghost of her mom quite frequently There's always been an air of mystery for Mia surrounding her mother's death. The story she was told is that her mother accidentally took too many sleeping pills. However, we've seen visions as the viewer, viewer, and I believe maybe Mia has through her dreams or, or visions as well, of her father having to break down the door of the bedroom to find her mother dead with scratch marks on the door where she'd been trying to claw her way out of a locked door. So she asked the ghost of her mother 
if she killed herself on purpose or on accident. And her mother insists it was an accident and that she would never choose to leave Mia. Her mother also tells her that Riley really needs her help. So in an effort to help Riley, the friends, including Joss and Haley, seek out Cole, who is the character from the opening scene who was stabbed in his chest by his brother. He apparently survived that ordeal. He was the original source of the hand, and that's where Joss and Haley got it. They ask Cole if he has any ideas, uh, what they can do to help Riley, and Cole's advice is that the spirit will weaken the longer it's inside Riley, so they should just wait it out. Mia, however, isn't content to do that because she fears the spirits will kill Riley before that happens. I think that Cole was the source of where they got the hand. Uh, yeah. Cole, uh, Cole um... I mean, he was definitely, a, you know, familiar with it all because his brother was, was a victim to it, but I can't remember if he's the one that gave him the hand or if it actually came from someone else. I, th- I think it might have come from the brother, but Cole knew about it or something. Okay, uh, gotcha. Cole doesn't seem like the type of guy to hand off a hand. Yeah, he seems a no-nonsense. He's kind of pissed about this whole thing, and he's yeah. like, you're just going to ruin someone else's life with this thing? Right, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's like shaming them for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the guy that in the beginning who killed himself is the one who uh, handed it off or okay. something. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Mia theorizes that maybe they need to do the ritual again and blow the candle out since they didn't do it last time. Like if they did the ritual again with Riley and blow out the candle, maybe this time that will close the door and he won't be possessed anymore and he won't be self-harming. My question was, the candle didn't burn forever, so it went out eventually. So (laughs) that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think they're just grasping at straws here. Yeah, and as they begin to do the ritual... um, with Riley, Mia ends up seeing the spirit of a little girl, and during the whole, like, talk to me step, uh, she asks the little girl if the little girl can help, and the little girl is the one who says, I let you in, allowing Mia to see what's happening on the other side. And she sees a vision of Riley being tortured by other spirits, which, which only increases her urgency to, to find a way to help him. I thought that was a really uh, fucked up visual. Yeah, it was pretty heinous. Yeah. yeah. It seemed almost like he was being torn apart. Yeah, exactly. Like in hell, essentially. Right, right. It reminded me of like something from like Event Horizon or something. Like one of those, yeah, like, quick, it did. Yeah, yes. quick blips. Uh, when she gets home, Mia's father's waiting for her. In a previous scene, she had accused him of hiding something about her mother's death from her. And he says here, uh, you're right. I haven't been totally honest. And he reads Mia her mother's suicide note aloud, revealing that she killed herself intentionally. Mia's unsure what to make of this, and she sees her mother again in her bedroom, and uh, her mother insists that Max, Mia's father, is lying. And as Mia's grip on reality is fading here, she has a vision that she's being attacked by a spirit. She stabs the spirit in the neck with a pair of scissors, only to awaken from the hallucination and see that she has stabbed her own father in the neck, and he is now bleeding profusely. Her mother insists that she needs to get to Riley fast, so she leaves the house, uh, and her mother's told her the only way to set his tortured soul free is to kill him. So she heads to the hospital to kill Riley, but she can't quite bring herself to stab him. Meanwhile, Jade stops by Mia's house to find Max, her father, on the floor bleeding out. She calls her mom and warns her that Mia is dangerous, And her mother enters Riley's hospital room to find that he's no longer there. Jade also rushes to the hospital as well, and she sees that Mia has left the hospital with Riley in his wheelchair, and she's pushing him up a hill towards the highway. 
After cresting the hill, Mia is now walking down a steep embankment with Riley in front of her in his wheelchair, uh, and they are approaching the highway. The hill, hill stred, heads straight down into traffic. And she stands for a moment with Riley's wheelchair pushed against the curb as her mother's spirit appears and encourages her. And then we hear and see a horrible car crash, and it's then revealed that instead of pushing Riley's chair into traffic, Mia has thrown herself into oncoming traffic and now lies injured in the middle of the road. As she regains consciousness, she finds herself in the hospital to see that Riley is healed up and is with Jade and their mother. Uh, she also sees her father, Max, who has apparently survived the scissors in the neck thing, and she attempts to, to reach out to these loved ones here, but instead realizes that she's now on the other end of the party trick, and she's holding hands with a stranger who says to her, I let you in. And the film ends with us knowing that Mia's now dead and her spirit is about to possess the stranger for 90 seconds until the candle's blown out. Uh, what did you think of that that conclusion and that ending? Yeah, I, th- I thought I liked it a lot, man. I, I thought it was uh, pretty deep and suspenseful. Uh, I really thought she was going to kill Riley and it was cool to see her like getting more and more possessed by this idea that she had to do that. And like I feel like her character becomes so unhinged in like that last... Uh, sequence and you can tell it's like a mixture of all these things that have been happening throughout the film as well as like processing the news about like her mother's death and uh, what has happened now to her father Uh, so it was just all like building up into the storm and like her character was like breaking and then uh, yeah that final scene at at the highway uh, love the way it was shot where like you think she's pushing him and then the camera like jumps to an angle where like you're in one of the cars on the highway and you'd like it hits something or like veers off. You don't know what happened, and then you're like you're, you're left there for like a minute or two, wondering like, well, what the hell happened? Like, did she push the kid or not? Uh, and then it's like a cool reveal, like, oh no, she's she's dead, and and then it's like wrap up the story, like the circle of life almost, where she's now on the other, she's the she's the hand, like that's so cool. Like the movie ends kind of where it where it begins in a way. But uh, what what did you think? I love that it ends with her on the other side of the hand. I think that's a great way to end the movie. Something about the conclusion felt a little bit rushed to me. Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, she's going on this journey, and she's now, like, kind of estranged from the people she was close with. Like, the only people she was close with, Jade's family. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of rebuilds that as, as it's going. So, yeah. I, I, th- like, there the was friendship? Something... You felt like she was rebuilding that? At least maybe her relationship with... The, the family as a whole. It seemed like with Jade, she was still a little distant, but her mom was letting her near Riley again. Yeah. She, you know, she could pitch in and help. Something about it all felt really fast to me. And going back to what you said when we were talking about the opening scene, like you kind of don't really know what's going on. You're just kind of thrown into things. And I felt like the movie was so efficient that it was almost to a fault. Hmm. And... I I think I just lost track of where I was in the movie, and I was just like, oh, it's over. I mean, I was expecting to check the runtime and see it was like an 80-minute movie. It's a little over 90. Mm-hmm. But I think they could have given themselves a bit more breathing room and like let that conclusion simmer a bit more. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like all of a sudden... I mean, stabbing your dad is a pretty climactic event. <laughs> but I think that we've... The choice they made to make him a very distant figure and that we've barely even seen his face throughout the whole movie, I think that 
you know, illustrates the point that she's longing for connection and she doesn't have that with her father, but it also made it a little less impactful when she stabbed him to me. Mm. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I, I don't even know this guy. <laughs> like, I know it's her dad. Right. And right. she is very much the main character of the movie. So it's like, oh shit, I know that's a big deal. Yep. But I think it would have been a bigger deal if we could have just had a bit more. Like a like a hereditary uh, dinner table scene or something. With yeah, her and dad. maybe something like that. Just to, like a, something a little bit more with the two of them, and just a bit more space and breathing room in the movie, or time to catch your breath. Yeah. Um, and I then it was just it. like off to the hospital down the hill, and boom, like. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's the cross cutting between like Jade and her mom, and them figuring it out. But I don't know. Something there felt like this. This needed to be a bit more before you wrap things up and and sure. cut to that final. She's on the other side of it now. Yeah, um, which I mean, may sound crazy. Like she, you know, she killed her dad and then almost pushed this guy into traffic and then jumped into traffic, killing right. herself. Like that's a big deal. But right. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the way like the second half of this film is set up is like this event happens at the house and the kids put in the hospital. And then it's just her spiraling and like the speed of spiraling just like speeds up. So maybe that's why they never kind of like paused, like show more around because uh, uh, they've already set up that she's like very distant from like all like her father and, and uh, her friends and stuff. So I feel like it becomes very focused on her and just like a quick like downward spiral that like hits you really hard. About, like it accumulates into or cum- accumulates No. Yeah. Accumulates. Accumulates like rain. Yeah. Oh, okay. It accumulates. I don't know if, I mean, yeah, I guess rain accumulates. Snow right, is snow. usually what they use accumulation for, yeah. Sure, okay. So it accumulates like a, a snowstorm. Yeah, the the end, like, I, I feel like, yeah, they, 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 things go really fast the second half. I, I hear a point, like, uh, that would have been really interesting if they had maybe an extra scene or two of, like, uh, more interplay or, or more, like, conversations or, like, attempts at conversations. But y- you got the sense that she was, like, losing it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was clear that things were going south and it was, like, you know, her mom's talking to her and we don't really know what's fully going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, something about it just felt fast to me. I, I don't know. It, I would. I need to watch this movie again. Like, yeah, I will surely watch this movie again before the year is out because I I just need another look. But sure. something about the pacing just felt weird to me at the end. I can see that. I, I think uh, especially when right after she dies and like she's in the hospital and like suddenly everyone's okay, uh, that felt like a big timing jump to me. Like how long yeah, did that take? Yeah, sure. Everything was just like so bad like 10 minutes ago. Uh, like your dad we thought was dead and this kid was fucked. But like 10 minutes later, like everyone's fine and healthy. Like how long did her dad have to be in the hospital for if, it, if yeah. Riley was able to fully heal I know. from... <laughs> That wild shit. Well, I, I I thought the dad was dead. Like, uh, she got him in the jugular with that. Yeah, I, that was surprising that he survived. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, if Jade called the police when she arrived at um, at the house and found uh, her dad. Do you think so? Yeah, right. And they got they got there pretty quick. I almost would have rather had her just appear on the other side of the hand without the hospital hmm. bridging between the car accident uh, and oh. the. And the like hand everyone, scene. yeah, 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 sure, sure. Oh, and like not seeing everyone like walking away like from the hospital. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That is kind of it's a weird ending because it's kind of like happy that everyone turned out okay except for her. Yeah, but also it's kind of sucks for her. And on, now her dad has had oh, everyone in his family kill themselves. Yeah, right. I mean, 
it's a tragic movie when you think about all the events. There's there's humor in it enough that it doesn't feel quite as tragic, but yep. it is a very tragic movie. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think it, part of the reason I wouldn't call it misery porn is because I think she starts off feeling distant, but I don't think she's miserable. Like, we start off with her and Jade and their family, and, like, they're all close. Like, they do a good job of establishing that she's kind of part of the family. Like yeah. Riley climbs into bed with her, not in an intimate way, just like a big brother, little, big sister, little brother way. There are relationships here. There are people that like each other here. There are, yeah. Uh, though... I don't know, and not to get like too into like relationship dynamics here, but I do feel like maybe she's suppressing something and squeezing herself into the space because it's like the one space maybe she feels safe in. I think it says something that no one in like her new family like came to the one year anniversary of her mother's death. So while she maybe feels like she's found a place of comfort, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much of that's true. And she definitely kind of feels like an outsider. And when things go south with Riley, so much of the blame is like Im- immediately, like you know, put against her. So there's definitely uh, she's dealing with um, what would you call that um, stigma, or she's dealing with some kind of um, hurdles imposter against her. Syndrome? Mm. Imposter syndrome. Imposter, yeah, could yeah. be imposter syndrome. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, I, I think there is the movie does a really subtle job of that of like. Yes, she is now a part of this family. Like, does everyone want that? Is Jade cool with that? And right. Yeah, how much is Jade like, yeah, you're like my sister, or is it really just Mia being like, yeah, you're like my sister, and right. Jade's like, okay, sure. Yeah, uh, it feels like Mia's like a little bit more needy than, uh, like rightfully so, right? Because she's like kind of abandoned, or yeah, she's lost her mother and abandoned her father. Yeah, it almost feels like Riley and Mia are more on the same page of like, right. They're almost, it seems like they're almost in the same boat of like wanting Jade's, more of Jade's affection. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like yeah. they share a bond because of that. Right, right, yeah, totally. Yeah, they, those two seem really close, which I, I think like adds up to like why she lets uh, Riley, you know, take a, a turn on it because, yeah, she's she's closer to him and like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Trying to look I, out for him. I think the... That's something I got to give the movie props for, and the performers, like great performances, especially from Sophie Wilde and Joe Bird, who plays Riley. Yeah, the relationships just felt really authentic and true to life, and natural and nuanced. It was very well done. It was, yeah. Again, uh, surprising from two dudes who have this like comedic YouTube channel, right? <laughs> yeah, it's wild, but it, it works here because, like, yeah, you're right. It like balances the comedy with the horror really well, and like there some like great moments of levity throughout. But it's still like it stays pretty. Like I think you have some pretty scary and suspenseful sequences with all the uh, ghost uh, sightings of the ghosts and the evil entities that are possessing them. So that that wasn't her mom, right? I think it was a different spirit posing as her mother. Right. Okay. And uh, do you or think her that... mother selfishly wanted Mia to be on the other side with her? Uh, yeah, but it, it wasn't telling Mia to kill herself. It was telling Mia to kill and do harm to others. That's true. Yeah, I think it was just an evil spirit. Yeah, posing I, as her mom. I think so. I also liked early in the film. Uh, like we get a clue what Mia's gonna do at the end. Uh, early in the film, when when she runs across that kangaroo that's dead on the road or yeah, like almost dying right and like she has to like face that same decision like do I kill it and put it out of its misery or keep going 
and I think that ties into like what she does at the end with uh, this guy who she like Riley who she thinks is like in a bunch of tortured pain. Yeah, right. It's all kind of there in the the symbolism there. Get Out is another movie that takes a lot of sim- symbolism in an injured oh, deer yeah. on the side of the road, and that kind of uh, points towards some things that happen later in that movie, which yep. I won't spoil. But uh, yeah, this movie does the same. She Riley says like we got to put it out of its misery, and she can't bring herself to do it. And yeah, exactly. She can't bring herself to put Riley out of his misery. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Good call out. Um, I liked the inclusion of Cole as a character in the movie. Like, a lot of times horror movies have this tragic thing that happens in the hook that's just the backstory for the movie's, like, lore, really. The characters never come into play. And it's cool that they, like, go to Cole and they're like, got any advice? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have minded a subplot in this movie. Am I crazy? Like, You're maybe crazy. like, am I crazy? <laughs> You're nuts, man. <laughs> what, what kind of side story? Like a, more about like Haley and Joss who like are bringing this thing around to parties or mm. more about Cole and Duckett. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be the only person who thinks this. I just feel, normally I'm like, I love an efficient movie. Like, get to the point. Keep your focus. Yeah, especially from A24. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I think this movie did that, but I, something about it, I was just like, I, I feel like I need the world fleshed out a little bit more. Interesting. Not the lore behind the hand. I don't care. I'm glad yeah. they didn't tell us much. I'm and they so even glad. said they had yeah. some, uh, you know, people who were like possible producers of the movie who wanted to like have scenes where they like, go through everything written on the hand and piece together like the whole origin and what it all means yeah and they were like no we're, we've seen that happen too many times and it's so hokey whenever it happens and we don't want to do it yeah kind of like a whole like ring exercise where like someone's going like library to library and like on a field trip to like figure out <laughs> right exactly yeah, yeah so I'm glad that we didn't have that but same I, yeah something about me just wanted to enrich the story even more but it is yeah. a very rich story so I really need to see this again to see how, if I'm an idiot for thinking this. Yeah, I feel like the richness isn't so much uh, of them going wide and like building out like a, all these characters or like storylines, instead going like super deep on this the complexity that is uh, Mia. Uh, that like uh, her mother died a year ago. She has this far relationship with her father. She's like trying to you know insert herself into this family who've like taken her in, but she doesn't feel entirely at home and now she's like being haunted by visions of her mother and then like this realization of what might have actually happened to her mother and trying to come to grips with that so I feel like there's like a huge story just within one character and I, I think that was one of the strengths of the movies that it like kind of zeroed in and focused on that and, and used like the hand just like as a way to connect uh, to that uh, everything that's going inside of Mia I agree I, I mean I think if there is a correct take it is yours like <laughs> it is really great that we got to know this character so well and understand these relationships so well or understand the relationships well enough to have some questions about them like what's going on under the surface here right um so yeah it was it was a complex narrative because there was a lot lurking under the surface and we didn't need to add complexities of more characters or more events to it. Yeah. And, you know, I I think to your point, like, it was really cool that they meet the character from the beginning. But even in that interaction, I feel feel like a typical 
movie like he would have given them like some helpful advice or something or like give them some clue but i feel like that conversation was more around like oh i know how hard it is to lose someone and he, him being like well yeah yeah who's like responsible for it or something and so it was more of like a an emotional conversation than like a go do a b or go go here and look at this or something so that, that, that was really cool divergence from like a normal formula yeah they weren't like sent to another setting where they had to go find something so, <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah that would have weakened the movie i agree and that's what makes this movie special and what will make it end up in end of the year best of lists yeah right hey uh what's your take on why she starts having these visions uh is it because that first time she went over the 90 seconds or do you think uh it's just like her mental state I do think it's be yeah maybe with the movie's lore it's because they went longer than that 90 seconds oh okay and, okay. and so she's she's got something permanent that, that she took out of it yeah that 90 seconds rule is really interesting like I wonder how someone figured that out uh, and like how realistic that is and if it if, if maybe there's a gray area here where like they think like it's 90 seconds but it also is like dependent on who the individual is and what they've gone through but I don't, I don't know yeah, right. I mean, there's you got to believe these kids don't know everything there is to know about what <laughs> exactly. they're messing with. Exactly, yeah. Right, right. Uh, speaking of which, I, I think that it's an interesting thing to look at it as kind of a metaphor of a party drug, like I said before. And like, yeah. She's longing for connection, and it gives her this feeling that allows her to access some part of herself or some feeling she can't otherwise access, and she wants exactly. to keep chasing it. Yep. And even after it's proven extremely destructive... She still wants another go at it, and it, yeah, it she's destroys like her relationships it. with the people she cares about, and then it ruins her life and ultimately kills her. Yeah. It, it's an interesting take of just like, oh, all these kids are at a party, they're doing this drug, and most of them are like, oh, whatever, I'm able to like keep it arm's length, but she can't. She takes it with her, and it becomes a part of her until it destroys her. Totally, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm not trying to say this is like a don't do drugs thing, but you could totally read it as that. Yeah, yeah. That's the a whole really good setup point. is like they're sitting around doing drugs. Exactly at that party. Yeah, uh, that's a really good parallel. That, that that makes a lot of sense. And like you could totally vi- see like videotaping someone who just did ecstasy, like <laughs> yeah. writhing on a couch about how uh, how good it feels, or like letting yeah. the dog lick their mouth. Yeah, uh, I would guess. Uh, what's that MDMA? Have you heard of that one? I've heard of that one. That's like a, that's supposed to be like a really quick like five minute thing, right? That that hits you and it's like supposed to feel incredible. Oh, and is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I wonder. Like, yeah, that that's the kind of drug which uh, this kind of reminds you of. It's just like very fast thing that hits you. You have like these crazy visuals, apparently, uh, like these. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, optical illusions or whatever? Hallucinations. Hallucinations. <laughs> optical <laughs> illusions. Everything you see is like a magic eye book yeah, exactly. from the 90s. <laughs> it's like a 3D. There's a giraffe on your wall. <laughs> yeah. You have a crazy hallucination. It's just like very short-lived. But that's kind of what it reminds me of for sure. Yeah. I mean, and then also this element gets brought into it too of everyone's got their phones out. Yeah. And so if you're doing this stuff, you're going to get videotaped. Other people are going to end up seeing it. Mm-hmm. And this is terrifying for me as a parent just to know, oh, my God, my kid is going to grow up in this world where he might do something stupid. And instead of everyone just forgetting about it the next day or like <laughs> having it be a funny memory, it gets filmed, posted, shared. Right. 
that sucks. It just that sucks does. for kids that, that they got to live like that. It does. Uh, and I, I think they did a good job of setting that dynamic up, but even in like the opening scene, right? Like at the party, yeah. he's like dragging his brother out of the room and everyone's got their phone on. The 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 one thing to take a, uh, that with is everyone's attention span is so short these days too. So the, the worst thing you can do that would be shared will be forgotten in like half an hour potentially. I don't know, man. You, those, those viral videos, they they trend, but n- no, everyone remembers what Grape Lady Falls is. Grape Lady Falls? I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, wow. Okay. How about, uh, what are some other? Inv- Star Wars Kid? Uh, no, just from Arrested Development. There's a, Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, other shows are like, it's part, part <laughs> of pop culture that shows are spoofing it. Sure. Those can it. become permanently part of pop culture. And yeah. I think it's dangerous, man. Yeah, and that's a good point. Yeah. There are news stories about kids whose lives get essentially ruined because of oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Yeah, a lot of pressure out there. And uh, yeah, you feel that with the characters in this film. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, lots of themes on connection, like we said. Like her dad... And her aren't talking. Jade's kind of cold to her when we first meet Jade. Her mother wasn't communicative to Mia or her dad about what she was going through. So mm-hmm. I think like the hand reaching out and being able to grab onto someone's hand and say, talk to me, I let you in, is very much a metaphor for relationships okay. and emotional distances between the characters. Totally. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was really smart. I think that actually could be a good way for horror fans to greet each other in the future. Like, you shake their hand and say, talk let, to me, I let you in. I let you in. Yeah. That's like the secret <laughs> handshake of horror fans. Yeah, that'd be really cool. We should make that official somehow. Or would it just be terrifying <laughs> and weird? <laughs> I like it. I, I feel like, uh, yeah, uh, with everyone like recording everything, it's actually it is putting some kind of distance between people sometimes. Yeah. Or putting everyone behind a screen. Uh, so yeah, that's a really real and cool metaphor that they had here. And I think that's part of the reason people aren't quite as terrified as they should be during these parties when all this stuff is happening. Right. Like their phone is a layer between, between them. them and the, didn't we watch a found footage movie where somebody justified keeping, maintaining filming? Maybe it was in Blair Witch where she's like, I feel like detached if I'm videotaping everything. Like it's not really happening yeah. to me. Yeah, it was a Blair Witch. It wasn't a Deadstream, right? It was it was Blair Witch. I think it was Blair Witch. Okay, but I'm yeah. not sure now. Nah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this film reminds me of Hereditary in a way because it's dramatic, sad, and like heartbreaking, and it felt like a very human movie. And I think the rawness of that that human vulnerability is very much on display in both this and hereditary and they're both very scary but they're not the typical trite horror movie scares there's no jump scares there's mm-hmm. creepy visuals but they're not used in such excess that it just it doesn't have the trimmings of every horror movie you see yep yeah i think these movies uh have more focus more on like atmosphere and yeah. uh yeah, layering in like family relationships and grief. I, I think where hereditary and this might be different though is like what you mentioned earlier, where hereditary you have a number of characters and like their own storylines, um, and uh, this one you're yeah really just focused on one character. Um, right, and hereditary, they both share an element of guilt about what someone has done to a person they they care about. Oh yeah, yep, yep. 
a little brother or a little sister figure. Yeah. Yeah. And for me on this one, it was Riley that she felt guilty about. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. A lot of parallels. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I I know we've seen like a lot of misery porn movies or uh, A24 movies like this that really love to like look at family drama and, and make horror out of it. But I feel like a lot of them uh, sometimes get lost in uh, maybe creating that space or like just being kind of long and going in circles sometimes or being more abstract where I, I think this one didn't have a lot of those uh, elements of other A24 films. And yeah, to, to what you're saying earlier, like it, it did feel very uh, efficient and like a fast, like more straightforward storyline. Uh, did you feel that at all? Yeah, for sure. Very much more straightforward. And I think... I felt something was missing from the conclusion, and I'm trying to figure out what that is, and my thought was maybe it's too efficient, maybe we yeah. don't let it out, get enough time for those moments, the impact of some of those moments to hit, like, mm. she kind of stabs her father and just rushes out the door and it's on to the next thing. Right. Um, yeah, so me, my my shots in the dark on how to improve the movie which I know I think a lot of people are going to think this is a perfect movie but what what it was missing for me was either some sort of just space here I think really the space is the answer and a little bit more breathing room mm-hmm. but my other ideas were like do we need like subplots or a little bit more going on on the side it, I think the answer is just a tad more space would have helped me sure bump this up bump the score up a little bit more sure a little bit more breathing room yeah but on the note of, of scores, you got anything else or you're ready to rate this? Um, no, I think we hit on everything I had. So yeah, ready to jump to the rating if you are. Okay. Um, boy, that was the one thing I forgot in my cramming session between the last time we talked and this time was a scale. Let's see, zero to five uh, spirits sucking your toes. Oh, nice. That's when you're trying to go with the toe suckers. <laughs> uh, man, uh, I, I couldn't think of too many negatives here. So I, I came out with five spirits. Uh, was it five toes or five spirits? Uh, five spirits. So, oh. so maybe it's five spirits sucking each one of your toes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man, I, I think this is the best movie I've seen in a theater in a while. Just incredible performance by uh, Sophia. Uh, a really unique story, even though it's like a pretty simple premise. Uh, but I, th- I think it's a powerful play on like an individual and their battles with mental health, depression, and ability to connect with people. Uh, I think you have these like strong relationships uh, or strong character complexities and, and these uh, layered relationships that uh, make the what like the scary stuff happening on screen even scarier and makes you feel a little bit more vulnerable as you watch this film. So I, I thought it really worked and uh, I, I loved it. What, what did you think? Wow, man. All right. High praise. Uh, also, her name is Sophie, not Sophie. Damn it. Are you serious? <laughs> I may be getting her character's name wrong, but I can at least get the <laughs> actor's name. Damn. Yeah. As soon as I said that. All right. Go for I, it. I give this four out of five. I think it gut-wrenchingly blends real-life tragedy with supernatural horror, uh, and its focus on relationships and its characters makes any pain endured by the characters hit that much harder. I do think something's missing from that conclusion, I'm going to watch this again when it comes to home viewing, and I'll see if I bump up my score a little bit. But I think it's a great movie. I Honestly, Hereditary is a comparison for this, and I gave that a four as well when so many gave it a five. So sure. maybe four is just where I sit. Yeah, with this like genre of film. Yeah, the- but it is very good and refreshing. Like I, It is the movie I hoped it would be, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, that lived we needed up to this the time of year. And and so unexpected from like these makers and uh, I don't know, it makes me wonder like how do you go from YouTube short comedy formats like this long uh, 90 minute like efficient horror film. Uh, did you find like uh, parts of it scary at all? It's so hard to say what's scary for me anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's more disturbing and suspenseful. Um there yeah, sure, it was scary. I, I especially thought when Briley was cackling and smashing his head against the shower, that was a like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when he's just going bonkers and smashing his face, that's intense. Yep. It was more like intense and dread-filled than scary. Uh, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked when they'd show like, the ghosts when uh, they would get possessed. Uh, it wasn't quite a pop scare, but it would just like kind of be a little bit unexpected because they'd be just sitting right across from them staring them in the face. Sure, yeah, you just cut to the ghost. So it's not a, like an yeah. audio sting like, Meh! Yeah. but it's just like, oh, okay, there they are. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I knew something was going to be there, and now here it is. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of bare bones. Like, here's the thing. Yep, yep. It was very well filmed and edited. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Anything else? That's all I got. That has been our discussion on Talk To Me, gang. Uh, If you enjoyed it, please feel free to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop-down. You can find us there. You will find links to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, You'll also find a link to our Discord server where you can join and chat with other listeners and horror fans. There's a great community and great conversation happening all the time on there. Uh, If you want to become a Patreon supporter and support us for a dollar a month and gain access to bonus content, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange Patreon button. We thank Amy Mae Popart for doing our cover art. You can go to Etsy.com and search Amy Mae Popart, all one word, to find her horror art. And until next time, if you plan to be temporarily possessed by a mysterious spirit, make sure to wear a helmet, ensure there are no dogs in the room, and maybe even consider wearing a pair of low-friction sweatpants. (laughs) Might as well enjoy the ride. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get into it.